turn to Matthew chapter number 6. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, but we are going to hit a little mini-series within his big sermon, and we have entitled that Kingdom Prayer. Kingdom Prayer. And I wonder if you all have ever heard the Lord's Prayer before, whether it's termed the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Model Prayer, but, you know, uh, Thy Kingdom Come. You know, how many have ever heard that prayer before, right? You've been in church, you've heard it, um, and so we're going to spend, uh, even leading up to even leading up to Easter, uh, Easter Sunday, I have a, a specific uh, Easter message for you, but uh, just this kind of concept of this very, very uh, familiar, familiar prayer and we're going to dissect it from all different angles. And this morning, we're going to just try to simply answer the question of the purpose of prayer or the purpose of, of this prayer in, in specific. So for many people, this prayer is simply something that you have either recited or you've heard someone else recite. And it's, if we limit it to just that, we're going to miss the whole point because it's infinitely more than that. Normally, what I like to do is I like to take a, you know, a text of Scripture and a, kind of develop some form of a, a loose outline for us. Sometimes we've got points, sometimes we don't, but we just kind of take that text and we begin to, we begin to preach the text and break it down. But this morning, what I want to do is as we launch into this mini-series, is I want to give you an overview of the entire prayer, and it's not going to necessarily feel like where we're going to go word by word as we will in the, uh, in the weeks to come. And the reason why I want to do this is because I actually believe it is essential that we get the whole picture before we begin to dive into it uh, in, in its intricate parts. And I believe that by the time we're done... Lord willing, the study of this over the next several weeks, I really believe that it can have a life-changing experience in your life. I don't always say that. I believe often what God will do is he'll take sermon series, he'll take certain texts, and he'll kind of just build up your life from, you know, just overarching uh, series and books of the Bible. But I actually believe that this, these about three, four, five, six verses ultimately can shape your Christian life in a way that uh, maybe other, time, other times it, it, it doesn't. So this text can do what I'm praying for your prayer life, what I believe the Beatitudes did for kind of your everyday life. That was a series, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that God used so heavily. So let me, let me read, the, read the text for you. Starting in verse number five, the words will be up on the screen. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we kind of looked into, this is kind of like the social media world where everyone wants to champion their cause, what they're for, or what they're against, and they want everyone to see it and the motive is what's the most important. We've got means like, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Use those for the glory of God. But we're trying, to, we're trying to get to the heart, right? So he's saying, don't just do it like the hypocrites do, verse number six. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. 
and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We've, I've already preached through these verses. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then verse number nine. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer is often discussed. It's, it's taught on, but perhaps it's misunderstood, potentially. Definitely this text often, I believe, is misunderstood. The believers absolutely must learn how to pray. And in order to experience the, the, the fullness of this communion with God that we're meant to have, to open the, the floodgates, so to speak, of his presence in your life and maybe even the blessing that comes with praying, we have to learn how to pray. It's, it's vital. I believe that we're all aware in this morning, if you've been in church for a while, the importance of prayer Many would know that the Apostle Paul commands us later in the New Testament that we are to pray without ceasing. In a sense, you know, some would interpret that like we're to always be praying or to always be having a, a spirit of prayer. But that, that prayer is always on our minds, that it's always on our lips. But if you do not know how to pray or you do not know what to pray, it does little good to continue praying. If we're not praying the way that we're supposed to pray, or if, we don't, uh, if we've not learned that, then what good is continually, as Paul said, praying without ceasing? So it's important, I believe, that we learn from this text. You say, Ryan, I've been, I've been in church for decades. I guarantee you, we can learn. I've been preaching for now, coming up on 20 years, and God just, oh, he just worked this, this text for weeks uh, in, in, in preparing for this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been giving his standard for the kingdom. This, his standard is in contrast with the supposed standards of the day. See, the Jews of Jesus' day, they, they developed this system that, was, uh, that they thought was adequate for them to reach the kingdom. But it wasn't. So in chapter 5, as we've learned over the, over the last months, Jesus dealt with, their, he dealt with their theology. And he was saying, your theology is not accurate. Later in his Sermon on the Mount, he's going to kind of view their material world. And he's going to say, the way you treat that, that's not adequate. But in chapter 6, he deals with their religion. So he deals with their theology in chapter 5. He deals with their kind of practical way of the, the material world, the way that they live in kind of the end of 6 and into 7. But here, and for many, many uh, verses in chapter 6, it's all about their religious activities. And he picks out three illustrations. Giving, praying, and fasting. He says your giving was not proper. He said, your praying was not proper, and your fasting 
was not proper. He says, this is what you've heard. This is what you always do. But let me show you what true kingdom giving is. Let me show you what true kingdom praying is. And that's where we're going to spend this massive amount of time over these weeks and well as what kingdom fasting is. And he uses that as the backdrop to then reaffirm what God's true standard is. So really, these are the standards of the kingdom. Hear me. These are the conditions of being a child of the king. Ron, that's your song, Child of the King. These are the conditions of, I didn't say conditions for, The conditions for to be a child of the king, that's all grace. That's all found in Jesus Christ. These are the conditions of being a child of the king. This is the way a true son or a true daughter of the king lives. Not like the Jews of that time. Jesus is preaching this sermon. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, man is at his greatest and highest When upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. I've quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones a lot in this series. I love his book on the Sermon on the Mount. I've gleaned so much. This particular pattern for prayer absolutely staggers my mind, to be honest with you. And the longer I studied it the last two weeks, the more frustrated I become. Usually when I kind of get to a passage, I'm, gonna, I, I'm looking for the main, the main theme of it. How many verses make up that theme? That's why we don't just preach all of chapter 5, right? We spent uh, you know, many, 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 many weeks in the, in, in the Beatitudes there. But normally that's what I'll do. I'll try to, I'll try to find the theme of, of what is try, Jesus trying to get at. And then I'll just, I'll just go at it. My family, if, if I'm working from home, they'll just see me on the laptop. Just, just writing, 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 reading, quoting. You know, and just that's what, it, that's what the normal uh, thing is. But when I studied this, I studied it one way. And then I studied it another way. And then I got frustrated and I studied it another way. And then my dear friend Ed back there gave us a fantastic Bible study yesterday. And we haven't even fully gotten into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it was neat to kind of dialogue with him about how he wasn't sure whether to put in the things that just kind of spoke to me so dearly. So yesterday afternoon, I, uh, I was waiting on some like plumbing stuff to be, uh, to be done. And I texted Sarah, I'm, I'm going to stay at church. I'm just going to continue work. And I sat here in the kind of the foyer area where you have your lunch uh, or breakfast items. And I just was like, I'm going to look at this again. And I got frustrated again with the text. And so if I frustrate you this morning, it's because I've been frustrated all week. Okay. So normally that's what happens. But as I study this, there's such an infinite number of possibilities of ways to view this incredible pattern for prayer. It's an absolute tragedy that people in the church know this as maybe something that they just put on their refrigerator or it's just something maybe that you add to the end of a worship service. Plenty of churches do that. But I want to go a step further in my introduction here this morning. Before I fully introduce this topic, I believe that there's two supreme tests of our true spirituality. One is the study of God's word, and the second is prayer. 
Now, the study of God's word comes first because that infuses our knowledge of how to pray. So if we aren't studying the word and we're not learning from the word, then our, our prayers are often coming up empty. And so the word of God teaches us about the character of God, teaches us about theology and who he is and what he wants us to pray. So we study the word of God and it births meaningful prayer in your life and mine. Let me give you a kind of, a kind of an example and let me explain why. There are people who plead with God to give them the Holy Spirit. Where if they're a Christian, they already have the Holy Spirit. There's people who plead with Christ for strength. Yet when we learn in the scriptures that in Christ, we can do all, through, all things because he strengthens us if it's according to his will. And so we realize that in Christ, all of our strength is there. I've heard people say, Lord, would you, would you be with us this morning? We learn in scripture that he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Or other people have said, oh, God, help me to love that person when the Bible says the love of Christ is shed abroad in your heart. So it's not a fact that you need it as much as you need to allow it unleashed in you. And so let me give you just a historical kind of Jewish perspective on prayer. That's kind of what we've tried to do in this series, to kind of take it out of 2023 and put it into kind of that historical context. The Jews believed that they had the right to pray. They absolutely believed that. This was a major part of their life experience. Their community desired to come to God, and they believed, <coughs> excuse me, that God wanted them to come to him. They didn't come to God like the pagans did do. They didn't come to him in fear and, and trembling. They did not come to God panicking. They came because they really believed that God wanted them to come. Let me show you a few of these. Psalm 145, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon his name in truth. Psalm 91, verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. In other words, the word of God revealed that God wanted to hear their hearts cry. And they believed it. And they did it. And they, and this was, they had kind of a, a culture, really, of they knew they had the right to pray. No true Jew with the right spirit ever doubted God's priority for prayer. The rabbis believed that, that prayer was not just communication, but that it was a mighty weapon that in a way it was releasing God's power. The psalmist said in Psalm 65, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. They believed. They believed that God heard their prayers. You know, often I hear Christians say, does God does he even, even hear me anymore? Well, they, they, they believed. They had the right perspective. Prayer was communion. It was, it was fellowship. It was unbroken. Prayer was not to a God who, it was, it was to a God who really wanted to hear them, who really cared, whose mind was uncluttered by the multitude of prayers coming his way. They were serious about their prayer. In fact, when the, when the Jews used to describe prayer, they, they had a word for it. And the word was kawana. 
or something like that as we try to translate it into kind of the English language. Kawana was this particular word in the Hebrew, and, it, and it's hard to translate it, but it has the idea of intensity or the idea of great uh, emotion and devotion that came with your prayers. It, it's the idea of commitment. They were committed to this devotion of praying to God. But something went wrong. By, by Jesus' time, they weren't necessarily doing it for God. They were doing it for themselves. The Jewish prayer life that used to be all about kawana had now become hypocritical. And in verse 5 of our text, Jesus said that they prayed to be seen by men. Let's see it again, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be <clears throat> excuse me, seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Then you continue on. Jesus goes on and he says that they're selfish, that they're trying to kind of get gain for, 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 for their own ends. They're trying to make public display they go on with these kind of vain babblings, this vain repetition that somehow if they just keep annoying God enough, that God's going to be like, oh, okay, enough is enough. I'll answer your prayer. And then they had this kind of prideful thinking that they needed to inform God about something. Verse 8 says, but not ye therefore like unto them, be not like them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of him. Their prayers got all messed up. So the Lord in his grace, his sermon is a sermon of grace. Oh, it might be un uncomfortable to hear. It might be difficult. It might be an affront to your own actions and what you're doing. But in grace, he comes along and he teaches them the right way to pray. And I believe we need this today. In 2023, because we do not know how to pray in many cases, and we need to learn how to. I'm not saying that you don't know how to pray, but there's often times where, we're, where we're, not, we're not educated on this, and it's my prayer over the next, I don't know how long it's going to take. We're going to look at this thing from every different angle, that we would have a working knowledge to increase our prayer life. Now let's make sure that we don't miss the point. We're not simply just to pray this prayer. We're to see it as a pattern. Now, people might say, well, I actually, I actually believe, Ryan, that this should be what we pray. I, I believe that this is, a, uh, this is something that we ought to repeat. I do not believe that, however. I think it is, of course, fine to read it just as part of the Bible, but I don't think that it is a, supposed to be a prayer to be recited. And I just want to give you a few reasons of, of Ryan's reasoning. Did you clear that? It's different, right? I'm going to give you some, some of my reasonings of why this isn't, shouldn't be something that we just kind of pull out of our pocket and just recite before the Lord. First, this prayer is recorded twice in the Bible. Two different settings, too. Once is in the Sermon on the Mount, and once later in Luke chapter number 11, when the, when the, when the disciples tell him, hey, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And in these prayers, they're, they're very similar, but there's differences, differences in the prayers. One would say debtors, one would say trespasses. They use different words. 
And so if the Lord was giving us a prayer to be memorized, if the Lord was giving us a prayer to be recited, do you think that he would have used different words? In other words, if it was just rote routine prayer to be recited, he at least would have given it in the same way. That's, again, Ryan's conjecture, Ryan's opinion. Let me give you another reason. Because Luke 11, the disciples said, teach us to pray, right? Not teach us a prayer. It's one thing to have a prayer book and open it and read a prayer. Sarah and I, we have a couple of them. They're beautiful, old school, like liturgical prayers, and they're powerful. It's one thing to do that and to read it and, to, and just allow that to minister to you. It's an entirely other thing when you're just constantly praying the same prayer. We've got to learn how to pray. The Lord was not, in my opinion, giving them a prayer. He was teaching them to pray. By the way, wouldn't it seem a little silly in verse 7 when he says the heathen, all they do is they repeat the same thing over and over and over again, and then later on in verse number 9 start to say, okay, here's a pattern for you to pray the exact same thing. It just doesn't quite jive. Thirdly, there's, there's no occasion one time in the entire New Testament beyond this, in the Gospels, beyond this, Acts or Epistles, where this prayer is ever repeated by anybody. So if it was something that Jesus is saying, all right, here's your, here's your prayer that you're supposed to just simply recite like often it is done, then you would have read where other people in the Epistles and in the Acts, where the early church would have been doing it. But it's not a prayer to be made a ritual. It's a model for every prayer you ever pray. It's a skeleton in which you're supposed to put the meat on. This prayer covers everything. It's staggering. The more I study this, the more frustrated I got, to be quite honest with you. I feel like there's so much in my head because there's, there's so many ways to see this prayer. So I wanna just give you a few approaches to this prayer and then we're gonna be done. Okay? It's not going to be a long Sunday. And everyone said, no, that's, that's all right. You can tell my whole family's wearing green for a reason. Our, our team might be the Eagles. I didn't do this two weeks ago, though. When it was against the Niners, I was trying to love you as a church. But Niners are out, so go Eagles, all right? So I, I, I just want to, I want to show you kind of, if you allow me to, kind of the frustration. It's, it's good frustration, though, of how many different ways this prayer can be looked at. It's going to kind of like be looking at a diamond. It's multifaceted. This model is for every prayer ever prayed. This is the skeleton on which you can hang your prayers on, where you can hang every one of your prayers on. If you will memorize this prayer, not so that you can just recite it, but that you'll memorize it and that you'll get it into your head, you will know that when you pray, this model, in a sense, is you are praying the way that Jesus taught you to pray. First off, one way to look at this prayer is that it unfolds the relationship that we have with God. So when you're thinking about this, this prayer, one of the ways you can examine it is through your relationship with God. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Our Father. That means that we have a father-child relationship with God. Hallowed be thy name. We have a deity and worship relationship with God. 
hallowed, Mike, you did such a good job leading us in to worthy of his name today. Hallowed be that name that we have this, this deity. Now we know he's the deity, that we have God and we are the worshiper. That's the relationship that we have. Thy kingdom come. That means that there's a, there's a sovereign, someone that has a kingdom and we are the subjects of that kingdom. So there's the relationship. He's the, he's the all-sufficient, powerful one. We are the ones working subject to that God, to that sovereign. It's a relationship with God. Thy will be done. Master, servant, his will be done. This is what I want done. Yes, Father, I will obey those commands. So it's relational all the way through this. Give us our daily bread. You have a relationship of the benefactor and the beneficiary in this prayer. How about forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts, depending on which one that you are looking at. We have a savior-sinner relationship with God. Lead us not into temptation. We have a, a guide. And then the sojourner. He's guiding us. We're saying, God, would you, would you lead me in my life? I'm the sojourner here in this life. And our relationship with you, God, is that you are our guide. We could study this prayer that way, and it would be awesome. And we kind of will. But you could do it that way. How does your relationship with God play out in your prayer life? But let me give you another way. It defines the spirit or the attitude in which we are to pray. It says, Father. So that is a family spirit. That's a familiar spirit. I love you all, but I love this crew right here. Often I'll, you know, tell newer people in our church, I'll be like, I'm sorry, I'm human, I play favorites, and it's them, right? Obviously, I love everyone, and I want to serve everyone, but we just naturally do that. So there's a family relationship with here. Father, hallowed be thy name, a reverent spirit. Can I get on a soapbox for, soap for 10 seconds? You ought to evaluate your vocabulary if you're always saying, oh my God. Following me? Oh my gosh. It's a euphemism for the same thing. Oh my God. It's hallowed. It's a hallowed name. Reverential spirit. We okay? Next one. I, I was longer than 10 seconds. I lied. I'm sorry. Thy kingdom come, a loyal spirit, a loyal attitude. Thy will be done, a submissive spirit. Give us our daily bread, a dependent spirit. Forgive us our trespasses, a penitent, repentful, humble, broken spirit lead us not into temptation a humble spirit 
I don't always know the best way to go, Lord, so I'm going to need you to lead me. Humility, a humble spirit. Thine is the kingdom, a confident spirit. Oh, it doesn't always look like it, but thine is the kingdom. It's going to come. It might not come in our lifetime. Well, it's here in Christ. We know that, and we're fleshing it out in our life, but we're talking about the kingdom. It's going to come, and so you're confident that he's going to win, and the power. So thine is the kingdom and the power. This is a triumphant spirit, and then and the glory. It's a spirit that exalts the Lord. Let me give you another way to look at it. God is a father. Our father, hallowed be thy name. He is a king. Thy kingdom come. He is a master. Thy will be done. And so as a father, right? So the father, king, master. As a father, verse number 11, he's going to give you your daily bread. He's going to be the source that you need. And as the king, he's going to forgive our debts. He's going to pardon you and pardon me. And as a master, he's going to lead us not into temptation. So the beauties of this model of prayer can go on. Only the mind of God can be, could conceive such a prayer, such a model that is just incredible with thoughts, incredible with nuances, that you really could kind of study it from all different angles and it and it'd be helpful. No one could have ever done that. But what's the purpose of it? That's the whole title of the message, right? So that was all introduction. Now we're going to land the plane, I promise. So what's the purpose of it? Well, let me start off by saying this. Prayer is never an attempt to bend the will of God to my desire. Prayer is to bend me to fit the will of God. Now, we ought to examine our prayer life. Are we saying, God, you are the master, you're the king, you're the father, I'm the subservient one down here, bend my will, bend my life to what you want for me. When I acknowledge God as the sovereign, as the king, as the master, as the ruler and father, I can say, Lord, give me my daily bread if it gives you your hallowed name. Lord, may my sins be pardoned only if that exalts your kingdom. Now, we know it does, but what a way to pray that. Lord, lead me not into temptation if that lets you be the master in my life. See, the purpose of all prayer is at the end of verse number 13, for thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. That's the point. If you think prayer is for us, we've ultimately missed the point. And I do, and I have missed the point. And that's why we get so messed up. Because we're praying for ourselves. And things don't happen the way we want them to. And you know what we do? I say this all the time. We take the creator of the entire universe, and we bring him down into the courtroom of our life, and we become the judge. And we put God on display, and we say, you're not good, you're not loving, you're not caring, because... He doesn't meet your prayers because somehow we flipped it to think that it is actually about us. We do not take into account the whole community of faith, the whole will of God in the parameters of his own kingdom. Samuel Swimmer, he's nicknamed the apostle to Islam. He's writing about this prayer. He says, every possible desire of the praying heart is contained in this. 
It contains a whole world of spiritual requirements. It combines in simple language every divine promise, every human sorrow and want, and every Christian longing for the good of others. Honestly, when I was first reading this, opinions of this, I thought, hmm. And then I went back to it. Remember, I studied it one way and I studied it another way, and I went back to it. I actually found that Samuel had it right. See, in the bread, in the provision, the forgiveness, the pardon, in the leading into the temptation, protection, you're going to find all three kind of time dimensions of life. Our daily bread, that's the present. Our debts, our sins forgiven, that was the past. And lead us not, that's the future. So it spans your entire life. This little prayer encounters the past, the present, and the future provision, substance of God. Bread that is physical, forgiveness that is mental. It, it relieves the anguish of guilt. You've got to know that you've been forgiven. Stop carrying that sin that you've been carrying. You've been forgiven of that. It affects you mentally when you know that you've been forgiven. So the bread, that's physical. Forgiveness, that's mental. And then leading not into temptation is spiritual. That's the maintenance of your spiritual life. Going forward, you're going to continue to grow in your spiritual walk. Whether you're talking about your past, your present, or your future, talking about your physical, your mental, or your spiritual, whatever you are talking about, it is here in this prayer. Prayer is meant to focus on God. John 14, 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So the reason you pray and the reason God answers is to put himself on display. To put his glory on display. Stop making you the object. It's him. When you pray for someone who's not saved and they come to Christ, it's actually not for your sake. It's to show you the power of salvation. When you have a physical need, and you pray and God gives the meaning, the, the meaning of that need. It's not so that you can have what you want. It's so that you will know that God meets needs. His glory is the issue. So when you pray, when you pray, remember, you're not informing God. He already knows everything. You're not forcing God. And you're not badgering God. You're not irritating him. You're submitting to his sovereignty. That's the proper way to look at it. It begins with our Father, which art in heaven, adoration. And it ends with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It ends with adoring. Starts with adoring and ends with adoring. It's all about God. And so in this mini-series, within the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get to the work of dissecting this prayer into little pieces. But I want you to know at the start, the onset, that prayer in this series, it's not about you. It's about God and His glory being revealed in your life through proper prayer.
prayer. And so is this just something that we begin to just recite? I challenge us no. Instead, we begin to look at it as the skeleton. Okay, am I, am I understanding that he's the father and I'm the child? Am I understanding that, that, that he's the king and I'm the one just working in his kingdom? That, that, he, that he's the master, he has a plan, he has a will, I am his servant to simply, in all of our prayers, where I believe if we're honest, I think sometimes our prayers are more about us. Here's what I need. And that doesn't mean that you don't pray those. But if that is the gamut of our prayers, I think it's only one time, give us this our daily bread and forgive us our trespass. I mean, it's like often it's for the Lord. And so I want to challenge us. The purpose of prayer is it's about, it's about the Lord. Your past, your present, and your future are all beautifully tucked into this diamond-like prayer. So let's take this journey together. Let's begin to dissect it. Let's begin to, you know, start looking, okay, what does hallowed be thy name mean? And begin to just look at it from all different angles. And my prayer is that this will impact this entire series, maybe not just this, this overview message, but this entire series would give you such equipping mentally so that every single time you pray, whether it's long or whether it's short, that you have prayed accordingly to this model. Not to be recited, in my opinion, but rather to be kind of look at, okay, are my prayers matching up to this model? Every head bowed, every eye closed. One of the elements of this prayer was that your sins would be forgiven. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to the place where you have said, God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you pardon me? from my debts that I owe. You know what the Bible says? For the wages of sin is death. There is a debt that you owe for your sin. And according to the Apostle Paul, the debt or the wage, what you earned for your sin is death. Not just physical death. We learn in Revelation chapter 20 that death also refers to spiritual death, a lake of fire. And so you come to God and you say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you pardon me of my sins? And you will find that you are forgiven in what Christ did for you. Christ took your sin took my sin for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus Christ took your debt and he paid it for you so all you have to do is say God would you forgive me of my sins I accept what Jesus did 
to pay for my sin. It's literally that simple. And my prayer that if God is working on your heart with that, would you make today that day where you call out to the Father to have your sins forgiven in his precious Son, Jesus Christ. And then Christian, walk with me on this journey. I know over the course of six, seven weeks with Easter in between and, you know, it's sometimes difficult to make every service. But try to, try to follow along, even if you've got to go onto YouTube and watch it, so that you can get all of the intricate workings of this prayer. And I promise you, we, I'm going to include myself, we will come out on the other side of this series having a far better understanding of how we ought to pray. Lord, I ask that you would take this...